Hi and welcome to episode 4 of Social Distancing the Church. You may have noticed that this is not episode 4 but episode 4a. Um, the reason for that is that I'm moving towards making it a more modular podcast. So it's going to be episode 4 or part A is always going to be tech and part B is always going to be theology. So the reasoning behind it is tech's going to be first. You can listen to that. You can get a framework for how they are doing ministry online and the tech behind it and their setup. And then there's going to be part B, which is the theology. What is the theological implications of their setup? And so, yeah, that's going to be my approach going forward to part A or part B. They'll be released at the same time. And that way you don't have to block out an hour of your day to watch it, but you only have to block out a half hour, watch the first part, and then as time permits, you can block out another half hour. So doing multiple smaller segments instead of one large segment. Um, yeah, so just kind of making it more approachable by doing smaller segments is kind of my plan for that. So now let's start 4A, the tech portion of this podcast. So today I'm joined here with Reverend Dr. Baisash Mayo. He is the lead pastor of Westlife Church and in Calgary. And to my knowledge, the current stage of reopening is stage two of Alberta's reopening plan, which has no capsize on religious gatherings anymore, but there's still a lot of other restrictions churches have to meet. Is there anything else you want to add there, Bice? Uh, no, like, so hey, we're, we're, we're processing, we're, we're still uh, currently exclusively online. Uh, that's kind of our, our current posture. And we're uh, in our preparation time to what uh, in-person gatherings will be. So we're in the process of uh, um, facilitating that, thinking through that, preparing uh, facilities and begin training people as we look at uh, regathering in the coming days. Yeah. So my first question is, as the situation developed, how did you approach not being able to meet in person? Like, what was your kind of approach in providing an online service? So we had always had an online presence, and uh, we'd always streamed our services, etc. And what in our in our in our strategy, ministry strategy before this, always had uh, more resources in our time going this way because we see this as a bit of the the future. Um, we just sped all of our plans up. So that just put all of the things that we already kind of in the in the hopper, just we put it like directly into to executable format. So we moved to um, like like pretty fast. We moved all of our ministry online. We were actually pretty uh, um, comprehensive that way. We People were like, oh, like Westlife's everywhere. And that was intentional for our people because we wanted them to recognize we were still here. We're still in their lives. We might not be able to meet in person, but we haven't gone anywhere. And so we, we kind of did our live stream. We did regular stuff on social media. We were uh, calling people regularly. We were connecting, making sure all of our groups were continuing to connect, um, even if they were online. Um, shifted all of that over. And uh, yeah, that's what we kind of did initially, what we've been doing for the last three months. And, uh, and our commitment is after this, we will keep doing all of that in addition to in-person uh, gathering things, as was our, our strategy all along. So what, as you already were online, which services are you using to be online? 
So we, uh, so well, maybe that's the easiest way to describe it. So we like, we were on all, all major social media channels. So like just generally, um, we have a church website, we have an app, we've had that all the time. Um, we broadcast through Boxcast is our live stream service. Uh, and then we push that to, uh, our website or app um, directly and natively through Boxcast. We uh, go to YouTube, which most of our people will watch on their TV screens. Um, but we interact with people on Facebook. Um, but we also broadcast our service on uh, on um, Instagram, and uh, and we're uh, I, I think it's this week or we've done that recently or it's next week. Also doing Periscope with Twitter. So trying to be as uh, comprehensive. We intentionally didn't have a, a separate, this is a, a strategic philosophical thing, but we intentionally didn't want to make it where you had to come to a website to watch. We wanted to go where people were at. So that's why we, we really pushed the, the Facebook uh, piece of that, where we wanted to actually um, be where people are at. So you could share the, the, the service on your feed and, 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 and like all churches saw an initial engagement on that specifically and, 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 and still have some carryover response to that today. Um, do you see, like, there's always discussion I'm hearing with, do you go with one platform and do it well, or do you go with all platforms and split up your audience across 20 different platforms? Is there any drawbacks you're noticing by being everywhere? Well, well, I, I would say we kind of do both. So we only interact on one and we tell people that. So if you want to interact, um, join us on Facebook. We have serve, like we have people who are assigned lay people and, and our staff will do this. We'll gather. We do have greet. We have greet, like online greeters that, that engage with people there. We ask specific questions, even in the service to make it as participatory as possible on social media. Um, but at the same time, like part of our, our sense was uh, w- like, why, why would we limit the potential? So, uh, you know, we have a demographic that's younger, that's on Instagram. So like, why would we not use Instagram? It's, it's there to be able to connect with um, some people uh, like for us, like I'll interact on Facebook, but um, my set top box for my cable, uh, I can use YouTube. So to be able to watch the service on YouTube, I can, it's easy to watch on my TV, which I would happen to do a, a screencast. So that's, I, so I think it's kind of both. We, we focus in on the interaction on Facebook, but because it's easier to kind of do that, but then have, uh, try to be as broad as possible with, with our social media connections and the online service. Yeah, I think that's like an interesting approach where it's like, this is our preferred way, but if you prefer another way, we do have that offered. Whereas some places are just being like, we only do this way, which then you know the platform, which helps. But for example, if you do only Facebook and somebody like myself, where I don't have Facebook, right, then... Well, that, that was our conversation initially. So it's like, okay, we're on Facebook, but like if you're under the age of like 30, uh, most of them are on Facebook. So you've just like demographically ignored a whole section of people. So that was not, that was not uh, acceptable to me. So I was like, well, then we have to do that. So well, like uh, you, but you can't just spread your people thin in like five different platforms. So we will, we'll have like our youth person kind of does some interaction on, on Instagram and stuff to connect with that demographic. But um, our, our, our focus for interaction is Facebook. It actually is, in my view, one of the better platforms for that anyway, for interaction's sake. Yeah. Um, that's why we do that as opposed to it being a demographic thing. It's just interaction on Facebook is 
is uh, is part of the the, the appeal. Yeah. Um, so the internet is a double-edged sword. It has great strengths, but also weaknesses. What are some strengths of the online services that you have been enjoying and how is technology being applied in creative ways? Yeah, well, uh, that's a good question because my, my, my thing is I've, I've thought, researched and written about this and taught about this is oftentimes what we'll do, people will do is they'll take a in-person experience, um, which has specific things that work well in it and try to translate or what I would articulate is uh, transliterate in essence, like, we'll just take what we do here and move it here and assume it'll work the same and surprise it doesn't. And people get frustrated. It doesn't work is what they'll say. Instead of recognizing actually social media actually has different, um, different things it's good at. And so like, uh, so if, 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 for example, um, you're using social media as just a, a broadcast network that actually isn't the, that actually not what social media does. It actually uh, focuses on participation. So whatever you do, either on social media or online, and if it doesn't involve an aspect of, of participation, active participation, synchronous and asynchronous, or during the moment and even after the moment, then you've actually missed the potential and are using it as a, 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 a in-person uh, uh, platform as opposed to an online platform. So that's where I think the, the, the conversation of like good and bad is more like strength and maybe weakness. How do we actually avoid or, or leverage the strength of, of, of online? And, and those strengths are different than in person. Yeah. And like, it's very true. Whereas like social media algorithms, they want interaction like YouTube. They don't care if you like or dislike, they just like that you use one of those. And they're like, this is engaging people. This is good content. So if you yep. dislike, a YouTube video and it gets a crazy amount of dislikes, YouTube will still push it because it gets engagement, right? So I yeah, think- they, they, Engagement's what it's all about. But how many churches do you know uh, um, probably articulate engagement as being a sign of success online? In, in the same way, they, 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 they like, uh, the, the typical church will uh, measure attendance because that's what we're used to doing in person, but, social media actually allows you to measure engagement um, in a unique way. And most, most aren't actually articulating the engagement. So comments, likes, dislikes um, uh, to their peril in many ways. Yeah. And it's also interesting because with engagement, because you can now track that, um, you can actually realize which parts of your service you are not engaging people. Like, sure. You can see some, with like YouTube, you can see which songs people are actually clicking away on, right? So you can monitor that engagement more than what you can in person. Yeah, the, the, of course, the, the flip side of that is uh, feeding in, the, the flip side is you feed into the consumerist perspective that would articulate, hey, like people don't like it when I, when I say things like this or we do sermons like this, even though it might be inherently good and a, and a, and a good thing. Uh, we can have a tendency to almost elevate that consumerist perspective because in, in my view, online has kind of uh, amplified uh, one of the dangers of the in-person church. So 
anybody who is a pastor would recognize us in, in, in in-person gatherings. We like to count nickel and noses, right? So we like to like count like offerings and like how many people show up as a sign of success because uh, we're, we're all into counting. But like, if you look to online, like you can just count everything now. So like the danger is of course, is that you just do things that gets you the result. And sometimes you, as a, as a church, as a pastor in the pursuit of truth and even the, the, the reality of what does it look like to, to, uh, to, to pursue God and be the church is sometimes actually that doesn't have engagement. Jesus did things and people left, right? There's, I forget where the story is, but where Jesus is like, he's, he's preaching and tons of people are showing up and it's kind of like, okay, there's a little too many people here. So like, let's talk about eating and eating my body and drinking my blood. And then the Bible's like, and people left. Right. So like the danger is, is that we, we kind of like uh, uh, pull back on the message or pull back on the things that would challenge people because that won't actually get engagement. And sometimes actually we need to challenge people towards justice or compassion, even if that means people not, uh, not engaging us in the same way. It, so it's, a, it's a double-edged sword. Yeah. That's um, the idea where it like, feeds into more the consumeristic tendencies is something that's like really interesting like you think about even worship where um it's a lot more um performance based online so that's also an interesting point yeah so here's one of the one of the interesting things of that right so uh you know, mo- most pastors that I know, so if you're a pastor listening to this, you will totally feel this. Uh, but you'll know in this season, uh, you know, unlike most, um, there's, a, there's a strong comparison game. Because like now you can see every church. And if you want a better, slicker product, right, um, that's what I would call a zero-sum game. You can always find one. I don't care how good or, or how big you are. There's always somebody who's bigger and better um, on, on the production end. But here's the thing that I would encourage any small group pastor, because at the end of the day, um, community will trump content online. Um, you know, like YouTube, uh, you know, like, con- like audio and video quality is important, but it's not the most important uh, element to a successful YouTube channel. Just look at the most successful YouTube channels, and it's not about production value. It's about personal engagement. It's about the community it creates. And I think that's actually the encouragement for any smaller church pastor that's looking at the large church and wondering like, oh, like in comparison, like we're just doing this on Zoom with my 50 people in my church. And I'm looking at X church, wherever, who's got like swooping video angles and and special effects and lighting packages and feeling like they're failing, where I would argue in the long run, uh, community engagement and that role of pastor will be more important. And, uh, you know, and, and you knowing your sheep and walking with them will give you the credibility and the listening and the audience and the community engagement that people uh, not only want and desire now, but will want and desire more that uh, the slicker show can't do because you won't get to know that pastor. That church won't preach to your context or your situation. You, you, you don't know them and that they're living the, the life that maybe you would want to emulate uh, but you can know your small church pastor has called you, cared for you, walked with you, knows your family, knows your kids, visits you in the hospital. And, and I guarantee that everyone will trade the production uh, for the care every time. Um, so if any small church pastor in the midst of a pandemic, would you be encouraged that your, your, your care for your congregation is more important than the content that you will provide? 
the, or, or the like production value of the content that you'll provide. Yeah, and that's very much true because you think about it like small churches, their congregations still sticking with them. Like I, yeah. um, when I was at Ambrose, I helped Valley View Community Church, which was my church. Um, mm. They had to switch to online and the first few services were rocky when they were online, but people kept on coming, right? They want that community that the local church has instead of flipping to say like First Alliance Church, which even though that's still in the same city, that's not their church. So they stuck with Valley View regardless of production quality as they iron it out. So, well, and again, the one thing I would want to articulate is, you know, you know, much like a Westlife, we always pursue excellence. So like not, not to deny trying to do your best job you can and, and uh, trying to make sure your audio video quality is good and that you're engaged and all like, like not, I'm not demeaning any of that. And nor am I would, would in any way uh, demean any large church or any large production value or, or any of those experiences for people that are part of that church. That's like, that's their context. Those are their people. Those are their pastors. I'm just trying to articulate, I think for, for lots of people actually like they're sometimes they're like a uh, smaller church dynamic that this is actually a season um, counterintuitively that's more attuned to that. Because you can actually know your people in a much greater way and, and, and people will respond to that. So sometimes we think in this season, like, I feel like I'm failing and I'm not able to do what other people are doing when, when actually you're succeeding and they're wishing they knew their people like, you know, yours um, as in your small church. So yeah, just an encouragement to all the small church pastors out there that are uh, trying to pastor in a pandemic. Yeah. Um, how have you kind of building off this community piece because like a lot of churches they're struggling now and how do you maintain a sense of community in an online format so how have you tried to foster a sense of community online and how effective has it been so i so to do that i like there's a couple of things i think that are that are helpful for everyone to consider uh, i think to build build community there's a couple of things that we take for granted in person that isn't doesn't exist in in uh in in the kind of the 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 digital gathering so i explain it this way so like in person um you'll have small talk right like you'll be in a group of people you can have some small talk that actually builds we and and in person we downplay small talk people say like oh people just are all surface level in this church because they just talk about the weather and their jobs and their kids they don't talk about the depths of their lives because in person actually elevates small talk we've taken taken for granted of kind of that gateway communication that then can like bridge the gap to deeper communication and online those small talk opportunities don't exist in the same way and so and so we 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 it's more it's more attuned to the deeper conversations but we don't get a sense of the, that gateway conversation to get there. Um, so I think that the trick for online specifically to build community is to find space to have those conversations, space to ask about the day-to-day life, the things that we like were ignored, ignore, uh, um, that, that, that kind of annoyed us in in-person are the things we need to accentuate on online because it's not natural there. So if you're meeting with your small group in Zoom, spend more time just talking about whatever, because that will lead you to what actually digital does, which makes you go deeper personally. Um, that's actually more the, the nature of it. 
or you know, one of the things we do at Westlife is we, we started this probably a, a, a month or two after the digital uh, online transition where we recognized we were doing a little bit of the clergy show. So we recognized like uh, all the lay people that were involved in what we did all of a sudden didn't have roles. And, and part of it was a safety thing at the, initially, and then part of it was just a logistic thing. And so we started uh, doing a number of strategic things, one being what we called the Westlife News Network, building on John Krasinski's uh, The Good News Network, where we tried to tell story, like pe- regular people's stories in church to build relationships. So we do that 15 minutes before the service. It's filmed on Zoom. Uh, it's just intentionally lower quality, so it's distinguished from the service in itself. Uh, but a chance to like, hey, here's some un, uh, maybe unknown voice, uh, voices, celebrate some people, what they're doing, the mission that God's played, like the, the mission of God that they're a part of. Um, we've done a number of things with it. it like, but it, but it's, our goal is at the end of this, you will have gotten to know a number of people deeper than you, know, than you knew initially because you got a chance to strategically and maybe um, unnaturally listen to them tell their story. Yeah, um, I think that's a really cool idea where like you get more of those people coming forward. Um, another, this is what the internet's good at, right? The internet's all about narrative and story, and all these altruists are like moving online, ignoring narrative and story, where that actually is like the the heartbeat of it. So to to leverage the digital world, we have to leverage people's stories. So. Anyway, sorry to interrupt you. I just, that's a passion of mine is how do we elevate story in people's lives? Because social media, the internet does that naturally. And yet we oftentimes ignore that potential. Yeah. Cause when I was streaming for Ambrose's online chapels, we were talking about um, cutting out the um, faith now, like the testimony sections and kind of one point I said was keep it in because it um gets more faces in front of the screen because very much having just the stream it very much comes as you said the clergy show where it's just the pastors who go up there and nobody else because nobody else can anymore which for which for any evangelical uh that's actually a theological problem right we, 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 and other, other traditions for sure do this, but it's, it's a big deal. We're like this, the priesthood of all believers, right? Um, we, we, we try to get our lay people to do lots of things, but the, if, if your digital presence does not embrace the priesthood of all believers, that's actually a value conflict and a problem to solve as opposed to a, uh, you know, a, a position, if you will, to, to, uh, to embrace. Yeah. Um, Let's see. Um, how do you see the future of technology in worship going forward? You were saying at the start that you were, before COVID, you were already pushing towards increasing your online presence. So five years down the road, where do you think the tech will be in our worship services? Oh, any, like, the, the church is always typically behind. That's his that's own conversation. But but we were never actually quite as far behind as people think we are. So I, I think that technology will be um, more and more used on a regular basis in church. And, and uh, like the, the digital world, one of the things we've discovered here is all its advantages. And then sometimes it's disadvantage, right? Um, so at the end of this, people are going to work at home more. 
it's not like workplaces are going to go away, but I think everyone could acknowledge people are going to work at home more. People are going to shop at home more, right? You're going to realize like, oh, like actually Amazon, I can, it's way more convenient for lots of things, um, right? You're going to recognize some of that convenience. People are going to go to, going to go to school more at home. Um, it'll recognize like, oh, there's some benefit to the classroom, but, but maybe there's some stuff I'm doing that just saves all of the hassle of travel. So I think there's going to be, and, and so the thought that somehow worship or embracing church community or, or the things the church has done is somehow going to like not embrace digital more is, is ignorant to what people will feel more comfortable with. So for sure there was, there's zoom fatigue, but like, we'll figure out that muscle. Um, technology will work around that where it is now will not be where it is a year or two from now. Lag time will decrease. Uh, like all of those things will adjust. And so, you know, like I think the, the, the embrace of that, the possibility of that will actually only increase. Interestingly, like one of the things that we've actually discovered anecdotally is that like our, our, we had a prayer meeting that we used to do before. We'd maybe get a couple of people who would show up. We regularly have like a, a significant group of people and it's awesome because you just like join in and pray for 45 minutes. I don't have to drive to the church. I don't have to drive home. I pop in and pop out. For something like that, it's been like amazing. I don't think actually we're going to go back to doing that in person. Other things we will go back to doing in person, but we've actually discovered the the like possibility of of some digital engagement and and uh, you know and for our people specifically at Westlife, uh, we have most of them have other homes, other places, travel lots. Um, at least not like they used to. They probably will eventually when things go back to normal. But but for them, the thought of like missing church, like we had lots of people that for the summer would stop coming to church. Um, and they're all saying the same thing. We can keep going to church. Like I can actually stay connected because the digital experience is, is at the level where I can fully engage. Um, that's not going to go away. That expectation is going to stay as it should. And people will be able to actually engage more. So there'll be a per- in-person dynamic. But I think anyone that thinks the digital engagement side of it's going to go away is missing out on the opportunity that it will present, not just for the discipleship and growth of the people in the church, but also its potential uh, to reach even further um, into our communities and to people who would feel uncomfortable going into a building, but are okay showing up on Facebook. Yeah. And I think also, assuming it will go away, it's a massive waste because you have the infrastructure now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Unless I guess you you philosophically or theologically disagree with it. If that's the case, I'd like to talk to you more. You should take my workshop at Ambrose or we talk through uh, a theology of technology and realize it's not a, it's not a crazy thing to, to, uh, to recognize and see its potential in the church. In fact, most of what we do is based on the technology anyway, it's just a different technology that we don't think is technology, but it is. Thank you, Bryce, for your insights on holding services online and the tech behind it. It was really insightful and I learned a lot through it. Um, I also want to thank Odom for providing the music that I do for intros. And yeah, if you want to hear more of what Bryce has to say, then there's episode 4B cell. Um, it's where he talks more about the theology behind it and just a more discussion on the theology, which is an equally fascinating conversation. So please watch that. The link will be in the description.
Hi and welcome to episode 4B of Social Distancing the Church with Bryce. Um, so this is a continuation of 4A. If you haven't watched that, I would urge you to do that. It kind of gets gives you a framework for how they are ministering at Westlife Church. And so it provides a good framework for understanding the theology behind it that he discusses in this episode. And so, yeah, I'll continue the conversation now. As Marshall McLuhan says, the medium is the message. Um, this means that like some changes would have to be made when transitioning from person services to online services. So what changes did you decide to make as you switched to an online only format? Yeah, so uh, McLuhan's totally right there, right? The medium is the message. And as he also says, the media works us over completely. Um, it actually changes uh, most everything we can imagine. So as we, as we make that, that digital connection, so I, I, th- I would encourage people to think through some of the things that maybe um, happens online that's different than in person and that, that uniquely does. So one, so a couple of things to initially consider on that. Number one, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's connection and community orientated, right? On, on the internet, I can connect with lots of different people and it's borderless connection. That's unique. Second, it's, it's by nature uh, a dialogue participatory, right? Those two things right there, and, and there's more, uh, I can go on for a while on that, but I just highlight those two. That changes how things are done online. And so if you don't change your, your small group ministry or your discipleship ministry or your evangelism strategy or your, uh, your, your streaming service, um, how you're doing your service and doing your worship time to, to, to adapt to that, um, you can do it. Uh, like I know it's not impossible, but it won't be effective because it's actually not recognizing the medium that it is, that it's in. So like, how do you embrace a participatory experience in worship where that's what the medium provides, what the expectation is by the user? Um, Cause that's what everything else does. How do you embrace uh, um, the, the communal nature of, and the connective nature online that actually in the end, um, as would also say reverses itself and becomes a little bit more tribal, but how do you like recognize the communal nature that it presents and uh, recognize that that people aren't just looking for connection; they're actually looking for community. And if you're not aware of that, helping to foster community instead, just like focusing on providing better content, then it just won't be effective uh, because you, you recognize that the the medium actually does impact the message. It ex- impacts all of the and more. And and I don't we don't have time to like jump into all the details, but those are a couple of the the the, the key ways that actually changes how. Um, how the, how the, how ministry actually operates. And, and oftentimes people just do ministry online the same way you do it in person. And, and uh, that's actually a, like a, a reason why people will say it just does, it's not effective. Well, yeah, because you're actually trying to do something different in a different context and it won't be effective. So what practical approaches at Westlife have you done to like, how have you changed your service orders or online? Well, we like, uh, like for example, our, our, our service orders uh, um, are similar because we recognized we were going to go back to in person and have a hybrid thing long term. So I think we would change that if it was permanently online, but we're trying to have a longer term strategic perspective to it. What we did, however, that's unique for the season, that's different than what we'll do when we go back to in person 
is we decide to make it more intimate. So we, I recognize that like if I preached on the stage to an empty room and I get some churches do this and there's reason why this is a Islam on that. Um, God bless you. And uh, there's a reason, strategic reason you're doing that. We actually strategically decided not to. So um, I, I've, we've intentionally moved the messages to a more intimate setting. So uh, we're working through, for example, the I am um, uh, um, um, statements of Jesus from John. So I did I am the bread of life in the, in the kitchen making bread. You know, I did the I am the door in front of uh, one of our Westlifers door who has a, a custom door. So I did it in front of that to talk about that. Like we're doing, you know, I am uh, the resurrection of the life from a cemetery, right? So like, like trying to recognize, hey, we can actually take, uh, more of an intimate feel instead of like a, uh, and create a bit of more of a, a communal intimate experience, both with that. We've also done some filming changes with our worship to accommodate that. Um, that makes more sense in a digital format. And then like on, on last Sunday, like I did a, a thing, I am the gate and made a comment in the message. Hey, like, you know, send us a picture of your favorite door. Um, you know, participate that way in, in Facebook, try to make it a bit more interactive, um, just to try to help people and then preach a bit more dialogically. So I'm anticipating people's questions as they have them, as I, as I, as I communicate. So those are like some of the practical things we've done um, in the short term. We won't necessarily do all of those in the long term as we go back to a person, because we can't do two different kinds of services. It's just not sustainable, but in the time we're exclusively uh, online, it did, it did make sense and it is, it, and it's worked for us. I, I think that's an interesting approach where you realize, wait a second, I'm not confined to the pulpit. And then you decided what thematically works and think about it as a set rather than just a pulpit, which is an interesting idea. Which is what Jesus did, right? Um, in fact, all the I am statements of Jesus all come in a context uh, that Jesus is speaking from, right? I am the bread of life. I'm do, he's doing that after he's fed the 5,000, right? I am the, the light of the world. He's doing that after the, uh, the, the festival where they light all the, the Jerusalem is lit up, right? You know, Jesus says, I am the, I am the door. And Jesus is doing that in the festival, the Hanukkah, where people are, are questioning the Pharisees who have come to sneak in and steal and destroy, which is what Jesus talks about there. So I think, um, all those in context and, and digital allows us to be a bit more free and a bit more uh, creative and, and leverage the, what my friend Len Sweet talks about the epic, the experience participatory incarnational and connection of, of, of sermons. Like how do we actually help people participate in the midst of things? Um, how did you view the embodied experience of worship before and how do you experience it now? Cause like COVID is drawing attention to the embodied experience of humanity where worship services don't just engage the mind, but there's a physical aspect to it. So how have you been approaching that now? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. Um, uh, like, I think that's one of the, one of your challenges is you have a, a time where we, the things we would normally do to do that are really difficult and people don't do them in the same, right? So people don't, uh, most people, some people do, some people now sing at the top of their lungs. I'd argue probably most people don't sing during the congregational singing. Like some people would argue like that was their critique all along with contemporary worship songs. Nobody's singing. Well, most people aren't now, uh, uh, and, and not to negate that, but that's true. Like that, that part of the body experience is over. Like we don't necessarily 
Um, you're not in a congregation, so you don't see the, the participatory nature of that. You know, communion, Eucharist, uh, the Lord's Supper uh, is, a, is an element of that that's a little bit different. Um, how do you like the theological engagement of that? Um, embodiment's a good question. Um, the only pushback I have on, on embodiment, of course, is uh, anyone who would say, and you're not saying this, but anyone who would say that virtual isn't real, right? Because there's people who talk about like so virtual worship, it's not real, as, as opposed to, but like we're talking now, like you're a real life human being, uh, you know, like if you are sitting across the room, I'd still be interpreting like audio waves and, and light waves as I am now. Uh, um, so like it's, this isn't unreal. It's, it's different for sure. It's two dimensional, but it, it, it's still, it's still real. And so um, we can, we could participate in communion as we could pray for each other in all the same ways. That's real. And this, in your theology of the spirit of God, who um, is always all, all over exists. So like, I, I think that there's, um, it's, it's a good question. I just, the, those who would say, and as a, a part of that question, you're not saying this, but those who would say that, like, it's not real because it's on the screen or a personal, I like, well, like, I, I hear what you're saying, but we, like, let's not go to the other extreme to say that this isn't possible or this isn't a, a real uh, thing. And an online worship experience isn't a worship experience. And you can't participate in community online because they're not real people sitting next to you. Well, they're real people. They're just separated by distance and connected through the real thing that's called the internet made up of real computers and uh, real wires that's connecting things. Um, kind of going off script here, um, you mentioned communion. Um, that's a very interesting thing where so many churches are deciding to do it differently. So how have you been approaching communion? Yeah, I had a great conversation the other day with uh, Dr. John Coots about this. We did, our, we did a podcast on this a little bit. Um, so uh, here's the thing of communion that's fascinating. So uh, like it depends on your church tradition. This gets, comp- it gets a little bit more complicated. So, you know, if you're a, a Catholic, Anglican, Lutheran, there's, there's some different perspectives of who can do communion, what happens if, the, if it needs to be blessed by a priest. Um, and there's versions of that for each tradition. So it depends. For evangelicals that have a bit more of a, a different view of communion, it's, it's a little bit more um, flexible, right? Um, one of the things that we've done, we've embraced with communion is to say this, like, okay, here's communion. So one of the things that, that as a follower of Jesus that you've probably never done is you've probably never prepared communion. Um, that's actually a, a job of a disciple. Some of the disciples were given the job to prepare the Last Supper. So this is actually a great opportunity for you to prepare prepare for what you're about to do, prepare for, uh, you know, the meal you're about to partake. You're going to chance to prepare your hearts as a part of that bake bread. We encourage people to do as part of that, uh, for people that have a wine cellar, go pick your best wine that you think for whatever reason is symbolic of, of this act you're about to participate with the church. Um, but, but what, what would that, what would that look like as you, uh, as you process that? So, yeah, like, I think that's the, um, that's one of the, the, the deals with communion is, is how do you process that in a proper way that, that different traditions allow for different flexibilities of. So for my Anglican friends, it's a bit more complicated for my Lutheran friends, a bit more complicated, but for evangelicals, because of our, 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 our how we look at communion, it gives us a bit more flexibility. I, I think your idea of um, preparing and paying attention to that, like that's, not a discussion I've heard happen. And I think that's a fascinating discussion is what does preparing look like? And 
paying attention to that rather than like kind of the community aspect of communion like you're paying attention to a different conversation which is interesting yeah the community conversation is also a good one so like reflecting on that i think that's where like uh you know as i look look in the future of this if digital is long term this is where i would think that communion which we have done in a large group setting in a worship service would fit better in a small group setting even if it's via zoom or digitally um, in an interactive setting because all the communal natures of recognizing that you don't have uh, something wrong with your with your neighbor before you partake it in the communal act that we come around the body of Christ, that you recognize something's happening as we together proclaim the death and resurrection until Christ comes back again. Those things that like like embrace the communal dynamic of things, um, probably long-term, if digital, if that's your approach, will best actually democratize into small groups as opposed to a large setting that is difficult to do by a community. So I think if you recognize you can do it in smaller groups um, and the churches that would allow that, that's actually where you could still do all those same communal elements. But if you're in a mega church, you don't get to see the 2000 people you're doing it with um, and, and have that face-to-face dynamic. I could see the challenge of that, but that goes away the smaller you get. Yeah. Um... During COVID, it's a good time to start changes in churches as it can be justified for optimizations for online services. Is it, And so like churches are being like, oh, we now need to modernize our music as our music's getting older and other stuff like maybe we should reconsider which pulpit we use. There's all these different things churches are now reconsidering. Is there stuff you at Westlife that you guys are reconsidering and changes you are considering doing? Yeah, well, uh, you know, the leadership maxim, maxim that, uh, that don't waste a crisis, right? Uh, don't waste the crisis to innovate, right? This is a chime for innovate, which I hope, as uh, Carrie Newoff would say, uh, that I hope we don't lose as a church. Uh, crisis will allow it, but the temptation when we go back to normal is that everyone takes the foot off the innovation pedal. Um, but I, I think in the season of innovation, there's, uh, you know, for us, like we to think through, well, how, how, how actually do we do certain things? Uh, you know, cause things like for most churches in church in general, wasn't like stellar, like our, like we all struggle with discipleship before that does not go away. Um, so like, what does that look like? How do we embrace that? What do, what do we do? You know, at Westlife, we're asking questions around like our, our facility setup. Um, to make it, we've been thought talk about how do you make it more intimate? Well, we're going to be forced when we regather to have like a fraction of the people in the room. It's going to be more intimate, socially distanced intimate, but uh, we have to change the, the, the like uh, worship dynamic to make it as uh, effective as possible. Um, like I think kids in youth ministry, you could ask the question there of how do you, uh, um, what are the changes that need to get to be made long-term to, to, to see those ministries grow, not just during COVID, but after as people live more and more lives online. The main thing I would encourage any church to think through is like, see this as a potential for a long-term strategy, not just a short-term solution. This is not a Band-Aid. This is actually the potential for uh, like physiotherapy uh, to learn a different way, um, even as you go back to online to help the church move forward in the mission of God into the future. Um, so kind of my closing question here 
Um, so churches are very divided where there's people that are skeptical about reopening and then there's some who just want to get into the church building as soon as possible. Yeah. Um, so how are you leading them when the church is divided and um, what is the, your church's approach to reopening because you're no longer limited on sizes? Well, the one caveat, you aren't limited on sizes if you can keep physical space. So for us, um, it's actually pretty close. So like, I think we figure we can sit about 80 people in our sanctuary. And the, the, so the difference between 50 and 80 is, is, is not like crazy. Um, so I, I think like, you know, as we're thinking of the future of that, like I thought when we went into COVID as a pastor, the ch biggest challenge for me was going to be how do I like lead a group of people who are sick and dying, right? That was the initial concern of mine. So we were ramping up care because I was like, we need to ramp up care because this is, and we, and we did, and we like call everyone in our church monthly and we, our care has never been as good at Westlife as ever as it is now. Like we've like, we, we succeeded at ramping that up. The need hasn't necessarily been there. The biggest leadership challenge now and, and surprisingly so isn't the care thing it isn't the shift to digital ministry, as you've alluded to, it's going to be leading a diverse group of people with a diverse set of opinions um, forward um, in a way that, that uh, will embrace uh, the community of faith and move forward in a way that's helpful and, and, and effective for the, for the church uh, going forward. So, you know, we've, uh, you know, we're trying to take a, we're trying to open as fast as we, as what we feel is appropriate. Um, so, you know, we're not going to be the first and we're not going to be the last um, we're trying to make sure we, we do that wisely. You know, churches that have opened have opened with a fraction of the people who come, right? So even if you do, that doesn't mean people will come. So, um, and it takes a lot of prep, a lot of, uh, custodial care, volunteers, training, signage. Um, it changes the experience because what you can do and can't do is different. Um, so trying to manage all those things in a healthy way. So we're, we're like in a preparatory phrase phase. We're looking ahead, uh, not kind of, uh, you know, uh, not giving a firm date yet, but trying to move ahead as fast as we can and the best way we can for our people. And, and in the process of like surveying people to get their like sense of, of their comfortability of coming back. So we know what to prepare for. So yeah, we're like what most churches are right now, just trying to prepare for what that's going to look like and prepare as we try to do that as fast as we can safely do it. Okay, that's all I have. Is there anything else you want to comment on? Uh, no, like if, if uh, you know, people who are uh, listening to this, if, if you go to a church and uh, um, you're, you're not one of the pastors, here's my encouragement. En encourage your pastors. This, is, this has not been a holiday time for them. All of my friends have never worked as hard. I have never worked as hard as I have now. My staff has never worked as hard as they have now. And nobody's complaining but nobody's taken like a breather. So uh, I just would encourage them to, 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 to like thank their leaders. And then, and then I would just ask them to be like uh, understanding of the reopening thing. Cause it's way more complicated. And when you're the, when you're kind of trying to lead that charge, it's more complicated to keep all those pieces and make sure everything's in place and help people that need more time to prepare and, and help people like, uh, like chill out. We'll get there. Give us a couple more weeks than you think it should get to the middle ground. And then finally, for all the pastors that are listening, I just want to say like, as you know, if you're feeling beat up and tired and exhausted, recognizing that you are pastoring in a pandemic, 
give yourself some grace, um, take a breather over the summer and, uh, and trust in the Jesus who will lead us, um, who is, who has never left his throne, who is fully secure, who's walking with us as the head of the church and, uh, and, and, and does quite well in crises. So we can trust in him to lead us into the future. Okay. Um, thank you so much for joining me today, Bryce. Uh, is there a way for people to connect with you? Yeah. So if people want to connect with me, they can just go to my website, which is BryceAshlemayo.com. That's B-R-Y-C-E-A-S-H-L-I-N hyphen, or sorry, no, no hyphen, M-A-Y-O.com. And uh, from there, you can like, you can, fill my comment card, my, the books I've written, I've actually written a book on, on, uh, on, on social media and faith. I have a book coming out here in the middle of August on digital ministry, like a, a practical guide. Um, that'll be, that'll be released mid, mid, mid August along with uh, some workshops I'm doing for Ambrose, all that information's on my website. And I would love to uh, connect with anybody about this uh, unique season that we're in and uh, all that God wants to do for his glory um, and his mission um, in it. So thanks for the opportunity, Brandon. You're welcome. Great chatting. Thank you again, Bryce, for joining me today. You had a lot of great insights on a variety of topics and it was quite fascinating. And yeah, I appreciated all you had to say. I'd also like to thank Odom for providing the music that I use. It's a huge blessing to just have music that I know I'm very used to use and all that. And so, yeah. Thank you, Odom. I'll put his link to his Spotify in the description. I also want to say that I'm being working on my social media presence right now. I'm on Instagram as Pod Theology. I'm sharing more of the behind the scenes stuff. So like what it takes for a setup, um, more of stuff like getting promotional pictures to the kind of setups I have to do for that and stuff and the tech behind recording. So yeah, I'm just kind of doing a more behind the scenes sharing there and I recommend you follow me there and engagement is also very useful. Um, You can also give me feedback in the YouTube comments. I appreciate that just so that I can understand more as I'm very much learning at this, just kind of Work on improvements bit by bit. So, yeah, thank you for joining me today.